Hello, and welcome to the Time to Zero In podcast, produced by Break, the road safety charity, and hosted by me, Joshua Harris. This is the series where we speak with experts from across the safe and healthy mobility community to zero in on the issues, trends, and innovations that can help us move towards a world where no one is killed or seriously injured on the roads, and where we can all be confident to move about in a safe and healthy way every day. A vision for the future known as Vision Zero. Today, we're going to be zeroing in on road collision investigation with Sol Jevons, director of the TransSafe Network. This episode is kindly sponsored by our friends at Litix, the leading provider of video telematics and fleet management solutions. At the end of today's show, I'll be speaking with Damien Penny, European Vice President, to zero in on why road safety is so important to their organisation. My guest today is Sol Jevons, Director of the Road Safety Consultancy, the TransSafe Network. Saul is a transport risk management specialist and has recently co-authored a report on the international approach to road collision investigation. In this episode, I will be speaking with Saul to find out what collision investigation is, why it's so important and how it can be improved to help minimise road casualties. Ahead of my chat with Saul, however, let's take time for a quick primer on Vision Zero. Vision Zero stems from the belief that every road death or serious injury is preventable. A Vision Zero approach to road safety is built upon two basic facts about people. One, we make mistakes, and will make mistakes when on the roads. And two, we are vulnerable to being killed or seriously injured if we're in a crash. Vision Zero recognises these facts and designs them out of the equation. Put simply, this means that the whole road environment, vehicles, infrastructure, speed limits, post-crash care and road users work together as one system to minimise the chance of a crash or, if a crash does take place, to prevent death or serious injury from occurring. At break, we believe that every road death and serious injury is a preventable tragedy. So let's take time to zero in on the solutions that can make our vision of zero a reality. So my guest for today is Sol Jevons, director of the TransSafe Network and a co-author of a recently published review of international approaches to road collision investigation. Welcome to the podcast, Sol. Thanks. Hi, Josh. Thanks for having me. Now, um, my listeners will have heard a, a brief introduction to you already, but can you tell us perhaps a little bit more about yourself, your background and, and what motivated you to pursue a career in, in road safety? My uh, career in road safety was motivated by the fact that when I was about 17, the brother of a girlfriend I'd had a couple of years earlier was killed in a car crash. And uh, seeing her and her family and the the, uh, the sort of trauma and distress that it, it caused them just planted the seed in my head that doing something in road safety might be something that I'd like to do. After a 25-year gap, the uh, ex-girlfriend whose brother was killed came back into my life. Um, and for the last 11 years, we've been together. And so I still have that daily reminder of the effect that it has because every year Simon's still not here. Wow, that's quite an incredible story. Thank you very much for sharing that with us. Listeners from from previous podcasts will know I do like to kick off each of the interviews with a quick fire question. Um, So can you tell us how you made your most recent journey and what one thing do you think could have made it better for you from a safe and healthy mobility perspective? Uh, my most recent journey was um, actually a, a, a trip to the shops to buy some milk because we'd run out. Um, so I did that on foot. The only thing that really could have made it better 
there's a pedestrian crossing. There's a zebra crossing that was installed retrospectively uh, to get over the main road through the village. And it was put in after a very raised roundabout had been put in. And so visibility as you come round the roundabout is fairly poor. So a bit of better engineering, but also more pedestrians. Because if people were used to coming around there and having to stop for a pedestrian, they'd be more likely to expect you. Yeah, indeed. And perhaps some local campaigning work for you to do there, Saul, in your local village. <laughs> Absolutely. <maybe. laughs> Now, we're here today to talk about road collision investigation. Um, that's an issue we think is of great importance to, to road safety. And as we see it fundamental as well to achieving our vision, which is a world with no one being killed or seriously injured on our roads. So I think it's best to perhaps start at the be- beginning. Can you explain in simple terms what we mean when we talk about collision investigation on the roads? Okay, so any any kind of um, collision investigation is primarily about establishing what happened and what caused it to happen. When you're then dealing with the collision investigations that most people are familiar with that are carried out by the police, um, then there becomes a further aspect of it, which is, um, you know, were any offences committed that contributed to the to the collision, whether that's by um, one of the road users involved or by um, you know whether there's an issue with vehicle manufacturer, the highway authority, whatever it may be. Um, but it tends to focus on the road users involved in the in the collision. Uh, they also have a responsibility to the coroner and to investigate the death. So even if there's a um, a single vehicle collision, they're still there to find out what happened and what caused it to happen. Then on the other side of that there is the aspect of what can be done to prevent similar events from happening in the future um, or to reduce the consequences of that. So you might say, okay, nothing that we think we could have done would have prevented this vehicle leaving the road, but at the point at which it did leave the road, did it have to hit an oak tree or could it have hit a crash barrier instead or could there have been a a wider grass verge before the the vehicle hit anything to, to allow control to be regained? And so it's a it's a mixture of approaches, both sort of the forensic aspects, so things like uh, you know looking at, at what kind of of marks have been left on the road, both from the tyres and other parts of the vehicle, looking at perhaps what the emergency response was, looking at what action the road users took, um, looking at the condition of the road surface, condition of other things. So there's there's those sort of forensic aspects, the sort of technical forensic aspects. Then there's the follow up aspects of looking at you know paperwork driver's hours um, whether someone was fatigued whether someone uh, perhaps was in financial difficulty and so actually what we're dealing with is a suicide rather than a a, a collision that wasn't intentional um so there's a there's a range of things but in the broadest terms it's what happened and what caused it to happen thanks uh, and when we're looking at what the the police do how how do they approach it is it every crash gets the the forensic approach i guess or is there a sort of um, a graduated approach to how police deal with with various crashes we see on our roads it's very much resource allocated according to the severity or um, or likely severity of the of the collision. So if you're dealing with something that's a fatality, the police uh, generally will conduct a full uh, forensic con- reconstruction. You'll have, you know, what we're used to seeing as road users of you know the the road is closed for a number of hours. Um, they take all the measurements and scene photographs that they need to. Um, then they'll come up with a full reconstruction of what they think the movements of of the vehicles involved were, um, and then from that try to work out causation. And they'll generally do that for um, fatalities and uh, anything that could become fatality. Um, And a lot of forces will also do it for incidents that might cause a life-changing injury. Um, so if someone's likely to lose a limb or suffer permanent brain damage, that kind of thing, then then they'll, they'll conduct things to that level. 
At the other end of the scale, you have um, incidents involving sort of perhaps damage only or a, or a minor injury. And at that point, it's just a case of police attendance is, is highly unlikely. You exchange your details with the other driver and then you perhaps present yourself at the GP or perhaps A&E, but it may well be that there's been no uh, no police attendance or involvement at all. And if there has been police attendance, then it's a case of they will fill in an accident report form. So it can be anything from no police involvement at all, or the police turn up and fill in a sort of a data recording form, as it were, but don't really get too involved in um, sort of working out necessarily in a, in a very technical way exactly what happened, right through to that the same resources can be applied as a reply to a murder investigation in some cases, um, if, for example, they think it's a case of um, causing death by dangerous driving. They, they can go to, to great lengths in terms of investigating uh, the, the more serious end of outcomes. Um, when we talk about um, organisations and the collision investigation that's done by companies, by, by fleets, um, can you talk about that a little bit and, and the value of that as well on the roads? Yeah, again, so we do quite a lot of work uh, both in the UK and overseas with, with fleets on investigation of incidents. And it's interesting to note that the primary things are the same. So you're looking to find out what happened and what caused it to happen. And then ideally, an organisation will be looking at both in terms of the, what caused it to happen. There's what did the employee who was in, involved in it do and what did the third parties that they involved, interacted with do, but also what did the organisation itself do? And that could be as simple as, you know, if the person was injured or if the third party was injured, had they specified a vehicle that was as safe as it could be? You know, had they looked just at the occupant protection for example when they were specifying a vehicle for their fleet drivers or had they also looked at what the pedestrian impact tests showed and procured a vehicle that was as safe as it could be for for pedestrians that that interacted with it as well and so the best companies will have people who are trained specifically in this rather than just relying on someone who has a generic health and safety training and a generic investigation incident investigation training um, uh, they'll have people who are, who are specifically trained in this and and will know what expertise to call in um, sort of as and when necessary. Um, so to give you one example, we had a client who uh, had a, a vehicle was overseas. It was a, a covertly armoured Toyota Land Cruiser and it was involved in a collision. As it was involved in the collision, a door came off and which is obviously not a good thing for any vehicle, let alone an armoured one. And so they had an expert come in and examine it and identify exactly at what point in the collision the different failure points had been between the two hinges and the lock that enabled that to happen. And then they looked back through their procurement processes um, and discovered that they'd put a lot of effort into making sure that the vehicle met all of the right security standards, but hadn't looked at the way in which actually it was assembled. So the armoring was, was great, but the way it was assembled was, was not so great. But yeah, so the best organisations will have people who are specifically trained in in this kind of thing. And they will look into it with a view of looking not only at where blame might lie in their employee or in third parties they've interacted with, but also what the company itself might have done that would contribute to that incident having happened, whether that's through um, in, intentional messages, unintentional messages, um, you know, we had a company who there was a lot of pressure being put on employees to make sure that they were responsive to client calls, 
but there wasn't enough emphasis put on making sure that they realized that actually if you were driving that was not the time to be responding to the client's call so there's there's a, a range of those things but ideally what you want is something that's got a, a no blame culture it should be about finding out what happened what caused it to happen and what can be done to prevent the same thing happening again and that can be very difficult when actually you're you know you're dealing with perhaps a driver who you know, you've got data from the vehicle that tells you that driver was breaking the speed limit. Well, in, on the one hand, you've got a driver who's violated company policy. And so, you know, there, there has to be a punishment aspect of some description because otherwise, you know, anyone can violate the, the company policy and nothing happens to them. But on the other hand, having that kind of no blame culture of actually looking at, well, why, why did they do it? What was, their, what was their motivation? Were they being deliberately reckless? Were they distracted? Actually trying to get to the bottom of it with as, as little blame as possible. And that's to some extent where the, uh, the pitfall lies in police investigations. Because of the nature of their work, they are tasked with finding out what happened and what caused it to happen. But they're also tasked with finding out who committed any offences, proving those offences and taking those offences to court, which is which is an essential part of the system, but doesn't necessarily help us get to the bottom of what can be done to prevent similar things from happening. Um, and I know it's been interesting for uh, police officers who worked on secondment with the on the spot studies who would go along and they're wearing the same outfit. They were in these sort of orange overalls. They're in the same outfit as uh, the researchers on the team. And they would say to us, um, you know, it's amazing the responses that you will get from people talking about a collision they were involved in as a researcher who is not looking for blame rather than interviewing them as a police officer and they're they're thinking the whole time what might this person be trying to prosecute me for and so actually getting to the truth which is the essential part of being able to prevent the same thing happening again and again and again sometimes the fact that the police are the investigating agency can can get in the way of that So we've been talking predominantly about roads here, of course, um, with Break the Road Safety Charity. But I wonder what lessons could be learned as well from how collision investigation works for other transport modes. So can you share with our listeners something around that and how collision investigation works for, for rail, for aviation, for example? Yeah, so for, um, for aviation, um, for, for, a, for a very long time, I think late, late 50s, there have been international agreements on air accident investigation. I think pretty much every country in the world who's involved in international aviation has some form of air accident investigation branch. And they will go out and they will do a full um, sort of technical um, review of the collision uh, or the incident. Again, working out what happened, what caused it to happen. Um, and they will then make a series of recommendations. Uh, the same kind of thing uh, is now established for marine, and the same kind of thing is now established for rail as well. Um, and the Rail Accident Investigation Branch um, was set up. It used to be um, that there were a number of different organisations. So there was the uh, the Rail Inspectorate, um, that was part, part of HSE. Um, there were various different bodies, um, British Transport Police obviously from the from the criminal side, who would look at rail accidents and it was decided sometime after um, I was involved in the investigation of the Ufton Nerva uh, level crossing collision um, and it was it was a couple of years after that I seem to recall um, that they which was early 2000s um, that they set up the uh, the rail investigation branch and again they have a, a different priority and a different set of powers 
the Relics Investigation Branch have the power, as HSE do, to interview you under a, a different section of the Police and Criminal Evidence Act, whereby you don't have a right to... Re- remain silent um so the normal police caution that you would be accustomed to seeing on you know every cop show you've ever seen about it may it may harm your defense if you do not mention your main question something like that, but you know but you don't have to say anything if you're i think it's uh, section 20 of of pace if you're interviewed under that you have to answer the questions that are put to you and it's an offense to not answer the questions and it's it's very rarely used but it is a power they have and the idea behind it is that your answers to those questions can't be used to prosecute you because it's about finding the truth and preventing the same thing happening again, rather than being able to apportion blame and pursue a prosecution. And obviously, from the point of view of safety as a whole, that's a really positive thing. From the point of view of if you're a family who's been affected by one of these incidents, it's a little bit difficult, because on the one hand, you don't want any other family to go through the same thing that you've been through. But then the flip side of that is that the people who have caused this trauma and pain to to you and your family you want to face an appropriate punishment um so there's a there is a, a sort of friction there between those those two outcomes but the fact that they have powers is is hugely important and uh, the fact that their recommendations you know sort of get get seen through um is hugely important and that was one of the things that we found with the with the internet international review um talking to people about what powers they had and whether their recommendations were actually enforceable or not so is, is there nothing perhaps equivalent to that on roads at the minute with, with regards to those recommendations, which then, I guess, turn into change on the roads for the better, hopefully? Part of the problem with it is that it is, it's a very sort of fragmented system, if you like. So you've got the police who will generally only be investigating in a lot of detail the incidents with the most serious outcomes. And sometimes you can have a very similar issue or a very similar standard of driving and it can have wildly different outcomes. So the fact that the police system is is sort of outcome-based is, is, is an issue. Then you will have insurers who do a certain amount of sort of statistical analysis, but their involvement is pretty limited generally. Then you will have highway authorities, some of whom put a huge amount of effort and resource into this. Um, I know Devon County Council have had an investigator who will go out to live scenes they've got a um, memorandum of understanding with with the police um, but they will send an investigator investigator out to live collision scenes and they will look at what highways elements could have contributed to the incident and they'll put recommendations in place for anything that needs any immediate remedial action Um, now obviously there is still the fact that if the highway authority are liable um, whether that's criminally or civilly for um, anything that's been involved in the collision there's there's an aspect there which is why having that MOU with the police is hugely important um, but they do have a they do have a really good system other local authorities pretty much seem to have a system where um, in, in some cases it is literally they get the reports through from the police and they say okay well you know we'll, we'll stick that on the pile with the other ones um, stick it in the database and then it's only if particular incidents are flagged up that they'll actually get looked at in in any detail if if it happens to be at a site they're looking at already or if it happens to be at a site where there's a, a sort of critical mass of of incidents that look treatable. That's really a, a resourcing thing and, a, and a, an objectives thing. They do have a statutory responsibility to look into incidents in their area and to look into what can be done to prevent them, but it's a very broad statutory responsibility. Equally, there are some police forces who will put um, huge amounts of effort 
into both fatal collisions and life-changing injuries and others who through resourcing um, will put a lot less effort into life-changing injury or serious injuries than than they would have done a few years ago um, again purely due to uh, due to resourcing issues uh, the, the other the other aspect of it is what the Department of Transport will do in terms of both funding research type applications uh, such as things like the Raids project and also their statistical analysis and basing policy on on that. Um, but one of the things that we always say um, working internationally is that the um, the UK road collision database is one of the best in the world and yet we can still show you spot plots of accidents in in the country over the space of a 12-month period and you've got collisions that happen to be appearing out at sea because the wrong coordinates were put on the form by the police officer who was filling it in because they were filling it in at the end of a shift and so although it's it's a very comprehensive and very accurate database compared to many others there's still a huge amount of inaccuracies in there and it would also be worth uh, mentioning the work that highways england are doing because they've put a lot of effort in more recent years into looking at incidents on their network although obviously they've only got um the motorway and strategic road network um they don't have the vast majority of, of roads in the uk so I think that leads us really neatly on actually to talk about the RAC Foundation's road collision investigation project. We've long been calling for, and as, as, as have others, improved road collision investigation in the UK. And I think the government are starting to take steps towards that now. And indeed, I think back in the middle of 2018, June 2018, they did fund our friends at the RAC Foundation um, to pilot new ways of investigating road crashes. I, I know you've been involved in, in some aspects of that project. Are you able to give the, our listeners a bit of an overview of, of what they're trying to do there? Yes. So the, the road collision investigation project as a whole is really looking at whether there's a business case for doing things differently. I'd certainly use the argument that yes, there is. And the foundation certainly managed to build enough of a business case that there might be uh, an argument for doing things differently in order to get the DFT to, to fund it in the first place. You know, it's, it's been a long time coming. Uh, I was looking the other day at a PACTS conference paper, the Parliamentary Advisory Council for Transport Safety, and they did a conference that I attended in 1999, which was looking at exactly this it was looking at you know should we have a road collision investigation branch similar to the one that we have for aviation and and if so what shape should it take and i think now the the sort of critical mass for you know there would be some value to it but there are a lot of questions about what shape should it take actually how much value would it bring for uh, the inevitable costs that would be involved so the, the RAC Foundation project is really about looking at different ways of doing it. And that's everything from having better analytics um, within police forces. Um, so actually taking the information that they've got and doing things with it, looking at it in a different way, because there is information that goes into the police system and just sits in the police system and that, that more could be done with. Um, but it's also looking at the whole a whole range of, of, of different things, including the, the little sort of sub-project that we did for them, which was looking at international experiences of, of uh, road collision investigation and where other countries have set up bodies which include looking at this thing. And can you perhaps give our listeners uh, a, a brief overview of what is a quite a lengthy and in-depth report <laughs> around what you found around, uh, I guess, international examples and, and perhaps what you advocate for the UK to, to take from those to, to improve a collision investigation here? 
Yeah, so um, what we did, we, we contacted um, what well, everyone we could think of, pretty much. Um, so we've got a, the the team we put together for it have got a lot of a lot of contacts internationally. So we we contacted them around looking at sort of what arrangements they had, if any. Quite a few countries came back and said, no, we don't have anything like that. We just have you know the police doing stuff. Uh, we got some feedback on police practices in 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 different sort of parts of the world. And generally speaking, where adequate resources exist, um, I'd say it with that caveat, then what happens in the UK in terms of police investigation is is still up there with, with the best. But in terms of what's happening with multidisciplinary sort of no-blame investigations, it does very much feel like the UK are, are lagging behind. So we identified a number of different case studies uh, where different countries have found different ways of doing things. And they range from uh, the California Highway Patrol, who have um, a system whereby they will have what they call a transportation engineer, so a highway engineer, essentially, who is attached to their um, investigation team. Uh, So they have a multidisciplinary accident investigation team, they call it, MAIT. And they will be involved in the investigation. Their reports can still be used for civil and criminal liability. But they do have that advantage of the fact that they've got that specialist highways knowledge and the fact that the highway engineer is not looking at it from a blame perspective. They're looking at it from a a safety perspective. And having someone on the team who's doing that obviously helps the rest of the team look at it uh, more in that way too, is is the third part of the theory there. Then if you go through to uh, a number of other countries, the um, the, the Danish uh, Road Traffic Accident Investigation Board are dedicated um, purely to, to looking at, at road collisions. And they usually have a thematic investigation. So they will pick on a subject. Either they will say, OK, we seem to be having a lot of motorcycle fatalities, for example. And so they would say, OK, we're going to do a thematic investigation on motorcyclist fatalities. They will then work with um, the, the, all the local police districts and they'd say, you notify us when there's a motorcyclist fatality or a motorcyclist uh, collision. And the local police will then investigate that collision, even if it only involves minor injury, say, um, because, again, it, it can be the luck of the draw as to how severe the injury is and what the outcome is, you know. If you happen to have a, a crash um, and then the, the next vehicle around the corner contains three paramedics, your chances of survival are significantly higher than if you have a crash somewhere in the, you know, a remote road in the, in the highlands where, um, you know, it takes you an hour to be found. So the police then will investigate that in the same level of detail that would be used for a fatal collision here. Um, But the other thing they'll do is they'll do thematic investigations on things that they see as emerging issues. So they've done one on home delivery vehicles, but they looked at it and said, okay, how how is the way in which we use transport changing? How is that likely to change the way in which collisions occur? We're getting a lot of home delivery vans going out there. Is this an area that should have higher regulation? What are the safety implications of, of this change of vehicle use? Um, so they do, they've done a thematic investigation on that. Uh, and so they'll do things where, you know, they think there's um, other research that's already in progress. They think needs further investigation. Uh, they'll do it understandably on collisions that receive uh, special awareness um, in terms of uh, how the public see it. So they might do a thematic investigation on something like incidents involving school buses. And they'll do it on if knowledge of a particular issue seems particularly limited. So if they don't think there's 
an awful lot of information out there about a particular thing, whether that would be, you know, use of mobile phones in the old days before we knew as much as we do now. Some of the agencies will do uh, desktop studies, um, which are a little bit more similar to some of what already goes on with projects like RAIDS in the UK. And others will do post-scene attendance. So the police will do the actual on-scene evidence gathering. But then things like interviewing witnesses, examining vehicles, all of the aspects that the police would do away from the scene will be done by the safety investigation body in parallel with the police investigation. And are all those examples things which we think in the UK would be wise to, to take on take on those examples and, and implement them in how we conduct collision investigation? We've recommended that there is, in our view, a clear benefit in setting up a road collision investigation branch. Some of the uh, international examples, uh, they're sort of multimodal. Um, so you'll have one organisation that covers rail, air, marine, etc., um, in some of them, they will even cover um, industrial incidents, incidents involving the military, um, that kind of thing. But our recommendation would be to have a standalone body so that the aims of it aren't sort of diluted, if you like, by being involved in in other areas, but with a close working relationship with the other accident investigation branches that are already established in the UK, so with, with Rail, Marine and, and Aviation. So, yeah, we, we very much feel that the, there should be an organisation set up we feel it's important that that organisation has uh, powers, um, so be that powers to uh, seize documentary evidence or to seize vehicles. Um, uh, one of the aspects that has hampered um, organisations in, in other parts of the world is that they can be investigating something but they don't have the powers to, to go in and, and seize evidence or the power to compel witness testimony. Uh, and the, a lot of the places who do have the powers to compel witness testimony actually say that although they've got the power, they don't need to use it very often because actually the fact that they are going in as a uh, as an organisation who are literally there just to find out what happened, they're not interested in blame. Um, it's a completely different mindset from the one which has to naturally drive investigative channels uh, in, in the way things are in the UK at the moment. This certainly wouldn't replace the role of the police. What the police do is hugely important and there, there does very, very much need to be still that aspect where, you know, justice is done and, and is seen to be done. But actually, it shouldn't get in the way of um, finding solutions that, that prevent this, this thing happening happening in the future. There are a number of legal aspects that we'll need looking at. So things like whether the, and again, this is this is where different bodies in different parts of the world do things in different ways. Investigations and the evidence gathered can be used for criminal prosecutions. You can have whether it can't be used for criminal prosecutions, but can be used in civil cases in determining liability. In some places, the sort of technical fact-finding evidence can be used in establishing te um, uh, civil liability. But the, uh, if you like, the more more subjective aspects of you know what should have been done and what wasn't done and what needs to be done in future um, can't be used to establish liability and in some cases they can be used for both criminal and civil so um, it would be it would be a, a big shake-up in terms of the way in which these things are viewed because unlike uh, the, the rail situation rather there are a massive number of both criminal prosecutions and civil cases uh, relating to road collisions every year. Uh, the other stuff we've recommended is that RCIB uh, does sort of look at uh, things like thematic investigations. So we think there'd be some value in that, but also that they investigate major incidents. And that could be incidents where there's significant economic impact. 
as well as those involving injury or death. So if you've got a particular type of incident which is leaving the M25 closed for a couple of days, which you know it's it's infrequent but it does happen, that actually they should that that should be part of their remit as well as looking at the broader picture, um, and that they should also undertake statistical analysis using the existing existing sources. Um, and whether those whether those analyses are undertaken in house or done externally, um, but we think there's a there's a significant benefit over and above that which is available through um, existing research projects, because if you've got an organisation which is established and standing and goes on year on year on year on year, and in order to stop its activity there has to be the political will to abolish the body. That's very different from a research program looking at data, which has maybe a three, four, five year um, project life. And then at the end of that project, um, there will be a benefit to the project carrying on and, and another phase of it being commissioned. But there has to be the political will. It has to be a political priority. It's much easier to not fund a new project or not fund an extension of a project than it is to shut down a, a national body that is there to you know a, achieve safety aims. Um, so, so from that perspective, I think there would be a benefit to it of even if it were carrying out similar work in some cases to some of the existing pro programs, there would be the benefit in that it would be in some way protected, um, and there would be a, a longer term view of it. Um, it eliminates that risk of sort of short termism um, sort of creep, creeping in there. Well, that's really interesting. It's clear to see there's lots of complexity uh, still to be resolved around what such a body bill look like. But it's great to hear that we think there is that that critical mass now for saying that we do need improved a uh, road collision investigation and potentially a, a road collision investigation branch in the UK. Um, because in the UK we have seen uh, you know a concerning stagnation in in road safety improvement over the past decade or so, particularly around road deaths with an average of around five deaths a day. Um, so how important do you think, Saul, that improved collision investigation is, is to helping the UK shift the dial on, on road safety and starting making improvements again? I think it's hugely important. Um, again, back in uh, back in the back in the days, sort of 25 years or so ago, when I when I came into road safety, the uh, road deaths were running at around sort of three and a half thousand um, it was we were in the set of you know t ten people a day uh, ish were were being killed on the roads, and from a number of different aspects there were you know you if you were involved in a highway authority and you were looking at uh, cluster sites of collisions it was easy to pick them because you could you know you could look at the reports you could look at the data you could look at your spot plot maps and say yeah you know at at this location we're dealing with x number of incidents over the last three years and you know, 80% of them fall into this treatable pattern. And so it was relatively straightforward to put in solutions to, to those problems on, a, on an engineering front. When you then get into the situation we've got now, where, you know, the, the definition, the ran engineering definition is, is that they're rare, random, multi-factor events. And they are, you know, fortunately, far more, the, the ones with the most severe outcome are far more rare than they used to be. But that makes them more difficult to treat because it makes it more difficult to see emerging patterns. And in order to see those emerging patterns and to work out what needs treating and how to treat it, you have to have greater in-depth investigation of a greater number of collisions. Because the more you know about what happened and what caused it to happen, the more you can try and put something in place that will address that issue. So I, I personally see 
improved collision investigation, improved systems for collision investigation as critical to being able to make any kind of step change in, as as you said, the, the stagnation that we've we've faced for the last decade or so. And I think there are some issues there around um, resourcing of, of the organisations doing the investigating. And I think there are issues there around resourcing of the organisations doing the interventions. But ultimately, you know, it's as as we've shown with COVID-19, you know, the, the first thing you have to do is understand what's happening. And then you work out what treatments are available. And the more resource you throw at it, the more likely you are to come up with the solution that saves lives. If you apply enough resources to things in the right way, um, you can build solutions. But actually understanding what problem it is you're trying to treat is absolutely key in terms of whatever solution you try and put in place being effective. Because otherwise you end up putting resource into trying to treat the wrong thing. And we see that on too many occasions with uh, some of the some of the fleet operators uh, where they will be trying to address their problem and when you look at the solution they've put in place it's a good solution but they're applying it with the completely the wrong understanding of what their problem actually is I think that comparison to COVID was really interesting because it's something we always talk about at break, that the scale of road death and serious injury you see, you know, an average of around 75 people being killed or seriously injured on UK roads every day. If you saw that in, in another transport mode, such as aviation or rail, the outcry would be unbelievable. So we really think that's a cultural shift needs to take place to enable us to realise the impact that road deaths and serious injuries are, are having on other people. And hopefully improving collision investigation can be a, a step in the process to yeah getting that number down to zero, which is our overall goal so thanks for, for your time today so before we go i think one final question which hopefully will leave us on a on an optimistic note is how optimistic do you think we should be about seeing improved road collision investigation in the uk following the rcip project and so and how optimistic about improving road safety over the next few years i think i mean i'm 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 generally a fairly optimistic kind of guy um and I do get I do get frustrated with the fact that you know I can like I say I look back on a uh, a pact uh, conference from 22 years ago now um which was saying hey this would be a good idea we should do this and I'm sure that wasn't the first time that the uh, the idea had been bandied around um and you know back then I was I was slim and I had I had you know dark hair and all that kind of stuff and you know I could I didn't I didn't have to worry about all the gray coming through um, and and here we are, twenty two years later, and nothing's changed. Would, would be would be one way to look at it. But I'm actually really optimistic that things, you know, ch- changes in the air. Um, I don't think back then there would have been the appetite within DFT to fund something like the RAC Foundation's RCIP. Um, I think there is understandable wariness in if whatever it is is going to be set up, it is set up right so that it does the job it's intended to do. Um, and it doesn't cause uh, complications and it doesn't waste any money. But I think there is a, um, a recognition that change is needed and that this would be a positive change. Now, how quickly that change will come, um, I, I'm not enough of a gambling man to say that we'll see it within the next three years. Um, I might have a slight flutter on it if you said five um i'd probably put a much larger flutter on it if you said 10 but my hope is that we will see uh things progress relatively rapidly there does seem to be a general groundswell for we can sit and we can look at what the exact shape of it needs to be 
Um, but actually, this would be something that would be a positive contribution. Well, I think that is a positive note to end on. And we at Break, of course, will be doing all we can to push forward that timescale as soon as possible and get road collision investigation improved on our roads as soon as possible. So that's it. Thank you very much for, for your time today, Saul, to talk us through this you know, really important, really interesting subject. And um, yeah, thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks, Josh. So I'm joined today by Damien Penny, European Vice President at Lytics. Thanks for joining me, Damien. Well, thanks for having me. So as I said, you're European Vice President at Lytics. So can you tell our listeners why are Lytics so passionate about road safety? Well, Lytics have been around for over 20 years and originally our founder was involved in a a road incident. And it was at that point thought, how do I prevent these incidents from happening again in the future? And ever since then, the focus of our business has been all around safety and, and more focused on the safety of the driver um, and making sure we get them home safe at night. In fact, our, our, our dream, and it's very similar to the, the brakes, uh, Vision Zero, is, is that no commercial driver will ever be the cause of a collision. And so everything we do is focused around the driver and focused around the safety of the driver. Can you give uh, me and our listeners uh, a quick overview of, of the kind of work that Lytics do? Yeah, sure. So I'll give you an answer in two parts, really. I mean, basically what we do, uh, we take video and data that comes from a a vehicle to help improve safety, the efficiency of the vehicle and productivity of the company. We work with all types of fleets. We've got about 4,000 fleets and we work with them and we collect a lot of data from them to help them improve the solutions so they could be more effective uh, and more accurate. But fundamentally, what we do is all about safety and it's all about saving lives. And we've been doing this for 20 years. And the core of our business is about how do we get the drivers back home safe every evening? And everything we do is focused around that. Well, that's fantastic. And we're thrilled to be working with you because that chimes so perfectly well with the the values of us uh, here at Break. Thank you very much for your time today, Damien, and for your support of Break in this podcast. No, thank you, Josh.